Welcome back, everyone, to The Xamarin Show. I'm your host, James Montemagna. Today, I have my best friend in the entire world, all the way from Bangalore, India, Nisha Neil. Nish, how's it going? Very well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a really long time. We have been waiting to do this. It has been a while, although, you know, we do have a one-on-one and we talk every single week. And I was like, you know, you're always talking about microservices. We should have you talk about microservices on the show. And Nish and I, we've worked together for, what, like, nine and a half years now, I think? Yeah, probably close to 10, we should celebrate. <laughs> I know. It's kind of crazy. We're all getting like our five-year, you know, you know, plaques from from Microsoft and things like that. But Nish and I worked together back at Xamarin um, in our advocacy org there, where we talked all about mobile applications. And Nish, still doing mobile applications now, really focusing on microservices. And Nish, I never know what microservices are ever. So can you help me explain to what's, what's going on with microservices. Yeah, I imagine this to be a regular conversation that you know James and I usually have on this. James is always like, I don't understand microservices. And we get to this conversation like, okay, this is what microservices is. And we go on and on. So we thought we'll just do the show, right? I mean, it's gonna be helpful for all the Xamarin developers uh, over there to understand what really happens in the behind the scenes uh, on the backend side. So I've been working with Xamarin for, a, I mean, I worked with Xamarin for a very long time. I was an APAC evangelist, did a lot of Xamarin, but then two, three years ago, I moved to the backend side of things and I've uh, been focusing on something called as architecturals, uh, dot, .net slash architectural. That's the page that you need to go and visit. If you haven't seen it, you should give it a try. Um, it has amazing set of resources. And the way I look at my job now is um, I, I try and help developers build production-ready apps with .NET, and that includes the latest and greatest like cloud natives and microservices and, and so many things like that. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think that you know creating a powerful backend for our mobile front ends is super important. And I just had um, Brady on recently talking about Web API and some new things in ASP.NET Core. And you know microservices are sort of this sort of natural extension, but there's a lot in there. So I figured maybe you could just walk through what the heck, you know, container, pods, clusters, all these, all these <laughs> words that are so important in the world of, of microservices. You already put in a lot of jargons there. <laughs> That's what so I mean. we'll, Yeah, so we'll get started with, I think, uh, we'll get started with my screen. Um, we have, what are microservices? I want to get started with something very, very basic, and we'll go from there explaining all those jargons that are actually involved in making microservices uh, development easier, right? Mm -hmm. uh, talking about microservices, basically, microservices are the are the microservice architecture. It's nothing but a design pattern, which basically says uh, your application has to be structured as collection of smaller services. Uh, for, and each service focusing on a single business functionality. And that is the key part. Uh, a lot of people think breaking down services into multiple web API projects, that's not a microservice technically. I mean, that's a service for sure, but that's not uh, that doesn't add up to the microservices architectural design pattern that it states, right? Uh, the key point is the services focuses on its own business functionality. Uh, to explain this better, uh, if you look at the monolithic side of things, the way we used to do before, I wouldn't say before, I mean, it's something like, you know, monolithic and microservices are two different style of architecture. Uh, it may be right and wrong, depending on the kind of application that you're trying to build right now. So mono in monolithic, I mean, we, uh, previously we, uh, I mean, for forever, we used to always, you know, split the applications, right? 
by modules that are uh, in terms of, for example, like you have a layers, like you have a database layer, data access layer, the services layer, this web layer. And, uh, but then when this has to be deployed, they all have, they are all actually, you know, you know, composed into a single deployable unit and finally scaled into, you know, multiple VMs and whatever the infrastructure is, right? I mean, this, this works great and it has been working great for a long, long time, but today's applications requires, you know, faster, development to like, you know, you deliver things faster. You are, we are talking about uh, shipping things to productions hundred times a day. There is a bug in the production. You find it in the afternoon. You want to fix it by noon, uh, sorry, by, by evening and, and so on. Right. Uh, similarly, when it comes to, uh, you know, that's what you will be able to achieve if you start thinking in terms of how do you design applications in a microservices architecture style where, you know, once you have defined the business functionality and they become loosely coupled, they're also independently deployable. So that means these layers can be actually technically their services now and they can be deployed into multiple uh, VMs and they can have multiple scale sets uh, or, uh, you know, it can be in single VM or it can be in, 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 a, in a number of VMs as well. And the thing that actually binds this thing together, a system that can actually try and understand how to do these things is one of the jargons we, we spoke about earlier is the Kubernetes world of things where uh, with today with Kubernetes, and I think it's possible to do that. And Docker comes into picture where you kind of where you want to package this application into smaller deployable unit. That's where the Docker comes into picture. And uh, so just to let you know that, you know, you don't need Dockers and Kubernetes for microservices development, but having this kind of tooling kind of helps do things faster and kind of like stick to those architectural styles very easily, right? So uh, let's talk about containers. What are containers? I mean, previously, if you look at the VMs, like how things work in VMs is like, you know, you, had an you have an infrastructure, you have the host operating system, then there's a hypervisor, and then your deployable units are part of the VMs. And mm. the, in, the thing with VMs is it has a guest OS as well, right? Along with your app and binaries. But when it comes like to Windows or Linux or whatever, right? Kind of that's what you're talking about there. That's correct. And when it comes to containers, if you look at, they are also isolated, but they have to be looked at more like a single process, right? Okay. Those processes. Uh, and there is no guest operating system here. And that's why you can think of it like a very small uh, deployable unit which also means like, I mean, when it comes to VMs, it if it has to be run, uh, you know, from scratch, it takes about minutes, like, you know, a couple of minutes to just get started because the host has to pull in the guest OS, it has to start up, it has to set your drivers right, and then your application, right? But these are these are like, like just like another process. So it just, it's like milliseconds your application can come up uh, when they are packaged into uh, containers, right? So this is really cool, and you know, and you just said a lot of words. You're talking about Docker and, and files, and and this this sort of decoupling in a way. And this is really nice because I really like that sort of architecture pattern that you were talking about. Is hey, I have this little like this little sign of service that's my login service or my coupon service or whatever. I'm thinking of like Amazon.com or when I log into um, YouTube, right? There's so many different services, and they can all work independently, which I think is really really cool about that, and and are deployed separately, so they're not reliant on each other in a way. Yeah, that's correct. As I mentioned, the most important point is to split by business functionality. So, and one thing I forgot to mention earlier was, you know, even the independent services are actually controlled by smaller teams. So mm. every single team, they look at this particular service as an application itself. So they have their own CI/CD pipelines and things, and that's mm. why they're able to ship ship features or rollout uh, features and update bugs very sooner without breaking the entire application because they're independent. Yeah, right? so they can work faster together as multiple teams instead of one monolithic team trying to all be dependent on each other. 
That is correct. Yeah, very right? cool. Right. So talking more about containers, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, there's a hardware, there's a host operating system, there's a hypervisor, and your VMs are actually isolated and, and uh, the apps are actually sitting inside it, right? Uh, the problem with this VM approach is it's expensive uh, because, you know, when you're scaling up app, you're scaling up multiple times, but there is a lot of resources that could have been utilized in a single VM itself, which is not possible. And that's why when you use something like a container, you have this Docker daemon that is able to manage these, um, you know, run these containers. Uh, so chances are you can actually, you know, see the resources which are not utilized, move the containers there, and then kill the VM that you don't need. And, and you can also save a lot of cost doing so, right? Um, so I say Docker engine here, but then it, in, in production, you probably may be using something like a Kubernetes orchestrator, which would do uh, these things automatically for you. So... Giving, um, yeah, you have questions, James. Yeah, I mean, I like this idea that it not only is saving us money, but it sort of is optimizing our, our different resources, right? Because here you're sort of shifting, you know, your different containers from VM to VM. But I imagine the opposite is true too, which is if you have big spikes, let's say at a holiday sale, you can easily scale up specific services. You know, if, if for example, you know, I'm thinking of when I when I when I buy things on BestBuy.com or something like that. Um, not a sponsor of the show, but when I say I'm buying something on FastBuy.com and they're having a holiday sale, they might actually have like their coupon service or like their specific um, sale, like point of sale, like checkout service completely separate. And that can scale up completely where maybe the engine that is, you know, creating new accounts or doing something else can be scaled down. Is that correct? That is absolutely right. And, and that kind of, uh, you know, uh, availability and scalability is given to you by the cloud native technologies like to Docker and Kubernetes. So it makes it easier for us to kind of like have a system, uh, which exactly you said, rightly said, you know, the business requirements, the way it comes up, you know, it can be managed with these kind of systems in place. That makes sense a lot. I think that that's, that's something really cool because I'm always sort of taking my entire app, my entire package and just right click publishing and then everything's up there, right? And then if I need to make one little tiny change, I have to redeploy the entire thing again. And that is uh, probably not the greatest. Yeah, so good that you you brought up some of the e-commerce clients that you you spoke about. And we have something called as eShop on Containers, which is a reference application. And it is one of our popular samples out there. And it kind mm. of like gives you those, you know, insights into how an e-commerce application could have been built. Uh, you know, and the reason why we picked up e-commerce and microservices does not have any kind of like, you know, it's for certain businesses or something like that. It could be any businesses out there. Uh, but then e-commerce is easier to understand because we all use it every day. So that's the reason why I built up the sample, which is which is more more like a real world stuff. So if you look at this architecture, there's, um, uh, you know, in, in reality, the production based applications are much more complex than this, but then they are, this is a re reference sample. So you can just get started with these. Um, so if you look at on the right side, there are multiple services, as you rightly said, uh, you know, if there is a need for catalogs, for example, to go up during a particular sale, we can actually independently scale the catalog. And similarly, if ordering has to go up um, during the holiday seasons and other things, like, you know, we can scale up independently. And what brings these services independence is not only the, you know, the way it is built using Docker and other things like that, but it's also the important thing is the databases, if you look at here, they are completely different. So in microservices world, there is no single central database. So which means, uh, every single microservice owns its own data. They have mm. the data with it. So that means 
now I can think of even you know deploying it a hundred times a day because I'm in full control of this application. Uh, and the way these services will work with each other is through the endpoints. They never query the databases of each other directly, uh, not like the relational world where you have the relational tables and things like that, but it is directly through the endpoints. And that is something like if, for example, when order has to be placed, you want to check if there is, you know, if this item is in stock, you query the catalog and say, check the, the item is stock, and then you make mm -hmm. the order, right? Similarly, when the order is placed, you want to let the payment service to come in and, and complete the payment. You don't, you don't directly call the payment. Instead, you can use something like an asynchronous messaging, which is event-driven programming, uh, mm -hmm. where you can actually notify using an event bus, like a RapidMQ or Azure Service Bus, saying the order is placed for this item, so the payment can actually subscribe to that and pick and then process it further. So you can see how these things are totally decoupled in the world. That mm -hmm. way, independent services uh, can be scaled or, uh, you know, it can, you can actually even test out a few features for your customers, right? You can have a couple of more, more features rolled out into that particular, uh, you know, cluster and they can, they can, you can load balances can kind of decide on what traffic to be take, taken to and other things like that, right? That makes sense. So you can do some A-B testing, you can add some features, remove some features, you can do a bunch of stuff. Now, we really wanted to use this video as like a 101 kind of overview. So, before we do this, and we have another video, like right after this, you can see we're actually going to implement some of this stuff. So what I want to talk about really quick is define for me a container. Yep. So container is basically an instance, uh, a running instance of an image. So that goes back okay. to understanding what is an image, right? Okay. Uh, so image is, think of image like a packaging unit, like, you know, it, every, all your application and its dependencies are actually packaged into a single image and they're immutable in nature. So once the image is created, they cannot be changed. They, you can only create new image out of it, right? Okay. So um, that's how, then Docker is a tooling, most famous tooling that is used for uh, building the images today. That container as a concept has been existing in Linux for, for a very, very long time. Uh, but then Docker popularized it, I would say. And Docker, it's a company. It's also a tooling that enables this image creations and kind of like run these containers uh, in wherever the Docker daemon runs. Okay, cool. So you have a container, you have an image, you have to put it somewhere. I'm understanding that there's something also that is from Docker, but also in Azure that are called hubs or, or registries. Is that correct? All right. Um, so talking about container registry, I think it's a very good and important point. Um, so I look at container registry as more like a GitHub for your images, right? So somewhere where you want to store all your images, uh, where when, when it comes to the infrastructure, you want to go and deploy it, you want to pull the images. So that's like the hub, the Docker hub that you're talking about uh, is one of the con popular container registries, which is also public in nature. So you can actually give a URL and you can pull the image, mm. uh, but there are also private container registries like ACR, which is the Azure Container Registry. So if you are working in enterprises, you want to secure your images because these are not something which for the world to consume, it's for your businesses to consume. So you want to secure it. So you will work with an ACR. And for for example, if you're going with Kubernetes, you may have it in the same uh, group. So it can be pulled in easily and securely uh, between the Kubernetes and the container registry, things like that. Okay, perfect. Last question for a wrap mm -hmm. up. Keep saying Kubernetes and orchestration. What yep. does that mean? Because now we have containers and images and hubs and registries. Final yep. piece, hit me. Yeah, Kubernetes is like a system that knows how to run the containers, right? So mm -hmm. it's simple as that, right? Um, so for example, like as I mentioned, like, you know, I, initially when I talked about VMs being like when there is resource utilization to be done, 
you know, the VM can be shut down and the containers can be moved into another VMs. All these things, you can't manually do it. So you need a system to do that. And that is what Kubernetes is all about. They call it orchestrator. It is the most popular architecture. So now it's become the de facto standard. There are other architectures like Docker Swarm, I think Mesos and other things, but uh, Kubernetes has become the de facto standard, right? So people talk about Kubernetes like as once you created the images, you want to run it somewhere, Kubernetes will enable that. And uh, the thing with Kubernetes is basically it's a contract-based thing. It's like, you know, you define to Kubernetes what you want. So you can tell what CPU you want, what resources yeah. you want, uh, you know, how many replicas you want, like how, what's your scale? Like you want two, do, do you want two containers running, three containers running? You mm. tell Kubernetes and that's a contract that you sign, which is called the YAML file. Uh, which is a little tedious to write, but uh, that is what you you know Kubernetes defines, right? You know? okay. So Kubernetes will try to make sure the state is true to what the contract is signed. So that is what uh, Kubernetes does for you. Perfect, awesome. Well, now we have our baseline of getting started with microservices and what they are. And now in the next video, Nish is actually gonna walk through all of those buzzwords that he talks about. We're gonna take some APIs, containerize them, put them in hubs and orchestrate them and do all the things. Uh, so tune in for that. Nish, thank you for giving us this one-on-one overview of, of microservices. And I can basically just watch this over and over again. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll do uh, better in the next one with the demos and other things like that. Perfect. We'll tune into that one. It's going to be right on the next playlist. Um, but of course, make sure that wherever you're at right now, leave us some comments. You know, Put some comments on there. Nish will be tuning in and answering questions in there. And of course, if you like this video, give it a thumbs up. That goes in the Google algorithm of goodness on YouTube and recommends this video to other people. I'm pretty sure. Who knows? Also, subscribe and hit that notification bell so you become part of the notification squad right here on YouTube. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. This is The Xamarin Show. Thanks for watching.